One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers on Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's a shaman columnist, he's also a lore aficionado, and he would be Joe Perez. Hey Joe, how's it going? Well, it is going fantastic. I have just have a delivery of a large amount of orc models today, so I'm very happy. Cool. I'm taking it this is not World of Warcraft orc models, but more like Warhammer orc models? They are indeed Warhammer orc models. Okay. All right. Giant, uh, giant stompy robots. <laughs> okay. Uh, also with us is our other lore aficionado over on Blizzard Watch, and that would be the one, the only, the Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. How's it going? Hey, everybody. How you doing? You can't <laughs> tell me because we're doing a podcast. I can't hear you. You could be responding right now, and I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I feel okay. a little bit like Caduceus if you watch Critical Role. I feel kind of like that today. You just like kind of laid back, chill, everything's good? Uh, I've been playing my my baby Colterra and I got her up to level 40 today. Um, and I did Theramore. Like I went to Theramore and I did all the quests in Theramore. Oh, before it went? Okay. Ooh. Yeah. So, Weird. So it's strange. Yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Um, like when you go there and you're like, talking to the to the you know deserters and i'm like admiral Prodmore was a true hero and i'm like yeah yeah dude i i'm, I'm on the exact same page can we just move this to the end because so i need my ex weird yeah or go out to the boat to capture them and I'm like you know cold terrace will rise again we're fine dude we're fine we rose everything is fine just surrender i'll take you into town none of this is going to matter in, a, in approximately two expansions just come on let's go <laughs> Time discrepancies are an interesting thing. You know what else is interesting? Patch 8.1.5, which came out a couple of weeks ago. I know we touched on it briefly on the last episode, and we said that we were going to go ahead and talk about all of the tidbits today. And we are, because there's um there's quite a lot to unpack. If you haven't played through all of the story stuff that's available with 8.1.5, you might want to put a pause on this and go play through it and then come back later, because... 
we're in a no spoiler zone. No, we're in a non no spoiler zone. We're basically going to be talking Spoil- spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> down, folks. Look, look, we're just going to be talking about everything that happened. And yeah, if you haven't played through all of it and you still want the surprises, go get the surprises and then come back here and listen to us babble about it for an hour or so. Because, uh, wow, there's a lot to unpack. So, message has been delivered. This is your last chance. Ready? All right. We're going to go ahead and talk about what happened. Honestly, I think the first thing that I really want to touch on and talk about is probably one of the biggest moments, just because it did have like that fully rendered, the whole cinematic and everything that went with it. I wasn't expecting like a full cinematic like that. Glad we got one. Uh, Let's talk about Derek Proudmore, shall we? (laughs) Derek, Derek died during the Second War. Um, He was the eldest son of the Proudmore family. And over the course of the Horde War campaign, they find his body and bring his body back to Sylvanas. Sylvanas brings him to life and intends to brainwash him uh, and send him to the Proudmore family and then have him kind of murder everybody, I guess. You know, just betray them. Because that's 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 just all in good fun for a Forsaken, I guess. Mentoring um, candidate stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. Over the course of all of this, though, I have some questions initially, but we lead into this whole cinematic because Bane sees Sylvanas do this, and this is going one step too far for Bane. I mean, there's been a lot of going too far, but this is really going too far because you're kind of desecrating the dead. You're going against Jaina Proudmore, who actually like helped Bane out and did him a solid when Thunder Bluff was coming under attack by the Grim Totem and all of that. So he's really not comfortable with any of this. And he protests, but then he relents. And then later on, behind Sylvanas's back, he goes, steals Derek Proudmore from where he's been captured and takes him to Theramore to deliver him to Jaina. And that's where that cinematic plays out. Um, and it was crazy good. It was super good. I love the cinematic. But Let's just talk about Derek in general, because I have a question, you guys, and it's a question that I mentioned on Twitter. It's a question that I think a lot of people are thinking right now. How exactly did a body that was lost at sea, died, everything else, during the Second War, before the Lich King even arrived on Azeroth? Like, this was a long time ago. How exactly did it stay cohesive enough that Sylvanas could retrieve it much less bring it back. You know what I mean? I mean, I have theories. <laughs> Throw the um, theories out there. That's what we're here for. So there, there's a couple things that could happen here, right? So first is the more grounded in real world, we'll say. Um, and it's the, you can actually find, there have been instances of uh, deep sea mummification. Uh, basically, it's not the same as Egyptian mummification, but it can, if the water is cold enough and deep enough, uh, it can preserve the body in a very weird and almost mummy-like way. That's entirely possible that that's what happened uh, because we don't know how cold the waters are there. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting, and this has been tweeted at me a couple times since the people have started playing through this, and I'm sure you guys as well, is that he didn't exactly die in a normal way. His fleet was destroyed by the fires of the Red Dragons under the Horde's control. Who else did we know was killed by Red Dragons or not killed by red dragons okay but rebuttal 
everybody else in that shipwreck was a skeleton, with the exception of him and the other guy that you were sent after. That's fair. Who? But again, that could also they all be died lost. the same way. That could also be. Um, but I don't know. Like it's it, it's it's interesting. It's Marshall Valentine, by the way, is the guy. Yeah. That we were yes. So I don't know. Like it. I don't know why else his body would pre- be preserved aside from plot armor. But I mean, what do you guys got? What do you think, Rossi? I think he probably wasn't doing all that great before he got raised, but it doesn't really matter since we've seen them do some pretty terrifying things. Uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Uh, Alonsus Fowl. Alonsus Fowl died way before the Third War. Alonsus Fowl died sometime between the Second and Third War, so sometime within that 10-year period. He was long dead, and then he was raised from death. So... I don't necessarily think it's as long as there is enough of him left to be a body. I don't really think they have a problem, but I also think to a certain degree, the fact that his model looks as good as it does is more along the lines of they had to make it look distinctively like Derek Proudmore. Otherwise it could be any faceless zombie dude. You know what I mean? Well, plus there's also something Mitch wrote this week. I've been thinking about it since I read it. Um, I I do not think for a second that Sylvanas had her plans upset here. No. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think Mitch had a point that, you know, if if she wasn't done breaking his will, she wouldn't have had him out on a boat. And not, not only that, like a not as heavily guarded boat as you would expect for something so high profile, right? Well, yeah, but the point is they had him in the ritual chamber to break his will. Mm-hmm. Once you, you know, why would you take him out of there? Like, you know, why would you do anything with him unless you were taking him back to the only reason to take him anywhere is if they couldn't break his will where they had him and they had to take him back to Undercity. If that were the case, they'd be working on him on the way. Not only that, there's an easier way to get back to the Undercity than boat. Well, and I mean, there isn't an Undercity. It's gone. Yeah, that's there's no place to take him. Sure. Orgrimmar, you take him to Orgrimmar to work on him, I guess, but the same deal. And it's not like the, you know, I just, I don't... Well, the Cluster of Shadow is empty right there's, now. There's stuff going on with this that I'm not 100% sure of. Um, when you go to like, break him out of the boat, the guards that come out to attack you, they give up. Like, you beat them up, and then they give up, and they say, it's not worth it, and they, like, run away. Except the Dark Rangers. Except for the Dark Rangers. The Dark Rangers are very much, they will stay there until the bitter end. But the other Forsaken, they're like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> it just seems I, a little too easy. You're right. It does seem a little bit too easy. But I agree. And that, 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 that also struck me when I was first doing that quest. I'm like, this is, this is not as difficult as it should be. This is not like, for lack of a better term, it almost feels like it should have been like a scenario with multiple people working together to overcome some weird thing like i hate to say it like this but there wasn't even like from a game mechanic standpoint there wasn't even like a boss that you had to get through to get there right not not quite like you would see other important things that we've gone through it was just and it was way too barren like i mean there's also like interesting point that marshall mc you know valentine when you find him doesn't even look dead mm-hmm. like he there's there is nothing wrong with him at all like he just he looks like he took a nap now, I understand some of this is might be the limitation of the game engine, but um, I don't know. We, we've made the point about them being, you know, killed by dragons. Wasn't there a dragon guarding them 
Yeah, I was going to bring there that was. up too. That was the other thing. The thing is, is though, is that that dragon, it was done dead dragon, and we know that the Death Knights were up to stuff in Legion. But again, you kind of have to go back to Derek's body has been there since before the Lich King, like the original Lich King, arrived on Azeroth. He's been well, dead that long. So yeah, Thor Trollbane has been dead that long too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, he got and raised perfectly fine. Thing. But why why the undead dragon now? What if and, and and this was something I was thinking about since seeing the dragon, what if the Lich King was trying to grab them first? What if the Lich King was trying to re-knit them and make them Death Knights before Sylvanas got to them? That's an interesting proposition. I know that there's um I, I don't know if you guys have played through the Vol'jin storyline, mm-hmm, I have. Okay, the section that sends you to the Lich King. Yep. He's not happy with Sylvanas. No, he's not. And not and, in the least. And and that struck me as a little bit odd too. And I've been waiting to talk about that because it's like, yes, she upsets the balance, but that doesn't seem like something he would be necessarily too concerned about because, well, he's a Lich King. He upsets the balance as a natural state of being, right? So. What is she doing that's directly at odds with him and not just the Alliance? And I'm not talking about like the Bolvar portion of him. I'm talking about the Lich King. What is she doing that's at odds with the Lich King? Trespassing on his domain. Trespassing on his domain, interrupting his plans. And one of the things that always struck me as a little bit odd, and Rossi brought this up with like Trollbane, is is there a re-knitting process that also comes along with the process that raises somebody as a Death Knight? Guys, guys, um, I just realized something and I feel like a dip a really dim bulb for just not realizing this. Oh no, go ahead. Let us know. Hell us have it. There's something we only found out in this expansion that Bolvar is fully aware of that he knows is the case. He has a daughter on Col Terras. Yep. Oh yeah. The Horde has, atta- the Horde has directly attacked Col Terras three or four times. I mean, the entire battle to Dazar Lore is a rest- retributive strike. The Horde attacked first several times. His daughter has been in the line of fire at least twice, and he knows who she is. You know, here's Do a we question. Do think he's still cognizant of the fact that she exists? Oh, Having yeah. been, you know, he? crispy crittered and put a hat on, you know. He does, well, He seems fully aware of, like, all of the stuff that's going on in the world. He doesn't... I'm not necessarily well, saying what I that have he to, would... The, the but Alliance definitely would probably report back. The, assume, the reason right? why I'm saying this is because, obviously, with Arthas, Arthas ascended, became the Lich King... And there was no regard at all shown for Jaina, really. But I think it's different, right? So, like, Jaina is or, or was his love interest, and their relationship... They weren't blood-related. Like, they weren't blood-related, but not only that, but if you read through their stories, they were at odds with each other at periodic points in time, and that's something that you can sort of, you know, if you're trying to manipulate the emotions of a person and control their vessel, control them as a vessel, you can kind of, like pry on that you can use that against them that's a weakness that you can use to, to drive between that relationship there's not really that there with bolvar and his daughter right like he sent her well, away to protect her plus there's the whole thing about like when you do finally you know deal with arthas and you bring the uh memento down and she's like he kept it mm-hmm. you know all this time he kept that it. is true he did hang on to that yeah and there's i mean with arthas and jaina you can imagine part of him thinking well if i kill her i can just bring her back and then she'll understand She'll she'll be you know like me now, and then everything will be fine. Well, so I I don't have to like try and convince her while she's alive. I can just do it when she's dead. Well, but Bolvar doesn't feel the same way about his own daughter. Not only at the point Joe made about sending her away to save her, 
he doesn't necessarily the way he acts towards Sylvanas, this isn't necessarily something he wants for the world. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, for all that he is, he is way darker than people understand. You do get a sense that he doesn't think that undeath is the way to go for everybody. He doesn't necessarily want the scourge to run rampant and turn everyone into like the living dead. He doesn't believe that's necessary or desirable. Um, he's got specific servants that he went and raised. Um, but and I don't know. I don't know if it might have been a, a t- an act of respect. You know, we don't know what his relationship was to Colteris that he sent his daughter there. We know that his, you know, he supposedly met his wife somewhere up in Lordaeron, possibly when they, you know, we know that um, Mara Fordragon led the alliance north. She was considered like the great mother of the of their the refugees. She protected and and guided them. Her, her statues in the Paladin Order Hall. Um, we don't know what Mara was to Bolvar. There's very little chance they weren't in some way related. It's not like Four Dragon is not the Smith of Azeroth. There mm-hmm. are not a ton of Four Dragons laying around. So more more than likely, Bolvar spent some time in Lordaeron. Uh, the fact that he was such close friends with with Varian implies that he spent at least some of his time as a child in the same situation. He might have known Arthas for that matter, uh, but. We don't know what his relationship was with Colteris. Why was his daughter in Colteris when the Third War started? Why did he turn to, you know, because keep in mind, it, Admiral Progmore was still in charge when this when he made this deal. Why did he do it? He didn't do it knowing the Third War was happening. Like at most, there would have been like some plague stuff going on that he didn't know much about. There's a reason he fostered his daughter in Colteris that we don't know about. So. It might have been an act of respect. He might have had. He might have sent an undead dragon down there, looking for you know the 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 son of the Proudmore line out of an act of respect. They might have been friends. Well, they both fought in that war, like you know, because the second war, he you know, if if Bolvar was old enough, he would have been fighting in it. There's no way he wouldn't have. He might have fought alongside him at some point. They might have you know known each other. There. If they were both around the same age, Bolvar's an important Stormwind noble. There's only so many people you get to be friends with when you are like, you know, we, we look at it with Jaina and Arthas all the time, you know, that they're they're of the r- roughly the same age and they're roughly well, the I mean, same Dalen strata. Dalen and Bolvar must have known each other somehow because when Talia was sent to Colteris, it was Dalen who said, hey, Cyrus, exactly. can you take care of her? And, and mostly because Cyrus was like one of his most trusted knights. So therefore there's at least some connection and we don't know exactly what it was. We don't know. Was Bolvar friends with Derek? Were they, you know, there were, were they similar to Jaina and Arthas in that they were around the same age and therefore, you know, friends because they're of the same social standing. Bolvar isn't, wasn't going to be King of Stormwind, but you know, his family was important enough that, you know, Mara Fordragon is considered the high clarist of the whole city. These are, you know, these are important people. So we don't know exactly what the connection is. There's there's a lot of story left to do with Talia. We don't know anything about her, like, mother. They've mm-hmm. barely touched on any of it. Yeah, so there could be way more going on here than we understand um, in terms of who Talia Fordragon's mother is what her connection is to Calteris or any, how Bolvar knew the family, why he sent his daughter there. There's 
there's stuff to let yet to learn and it might be connected to why de- there's an undead dragon off the coast of you know where where the uh ship went down guarding their bodies that's because that's just odd well, why is it there otherwise you know what i mean oh. like dra- undead dragons have better things to do did it just die in the attack if it's been dead this whole time underwater did it just decide to attack you know, like that doesn't usually happen dra- dragons don't usually just turn into undead things no, it has they to be some kind of, there's some kind of power behind it. So there's a lot going on to this yet, in my opinion. But I almost like going back to the idea that I'm curious if there was maybe a plan to raise him as a death knight. And the only reason I, I bring that up is because it would be a real easy way to have an agent that would be more easily accepted if it showed back up in Kaltiris. Because the other thing that I, and I haven't played through the Alliance side much, like, his daughter, she had much in the way of, like, the story since, like, you do your initial quests with her and the introduction to Kaltiris. Like, I haven't, me personally as a player, I don't remember, like, much with her so far. Has there been much with her so far? What, with Talia? Yeah. She's in um, the game quite a bit. You do quite a few quests with her. Yeah, you do but... a lot with her when you're questing through um, Tiragard Sound, but... Yeah. It, but after that? After that, after that once... Too. Yeah, and Storm Song. But once you've gone through all of that and you do the Siege of Boralus and then like the follow up afterward, everything that goes on with all of that, when Jaina is brought back and she says, and Anduin shows up and Anduin's like, hey, we would like to ally with you guys. And Jaina says, cool. And then they introduce, they introduce, or no, it was it Catherine that says cool? I think it's Catherine at that point. I don't think you find Jaina yet. Anyway, point is, Talia meets Anwin. Anwin says, wow, we have a lot to talk about. We'll have to do that at some point. And then that's the last you hear of yeah. her from like any kind of substantial standpoint. She is involved in some of like the world quests and stuff that are out there and that kind of thing. But beyond that, we haven't heard much about her. Um, and we haven't had that thread followed just yet. She only she she pops up in uh, Tides of Vengeance uh, when the Horde attacks again, and this is before yeah. Bizarre Lore. They attack Angleport Wharf, trying to like breach Boralus. She shows up in that too, and at one point she does talk about how her father used to write her letters. They, I guess, the implication is their mother died during like the scourge, and her father sent her to Colteris before. Um, this would have been just before Dalen went looking for Jaina. Yeah. Like he would have gotten he would have gotten this child and said, Okay, Cyrus, you have to stay here and take care of her. I'm gonna go look for Jaina sort of thing. <gasps> Is that why mm. Well, I was gonna pose that I was wondering what Bolvar would do to keep his daughter safe even now. I'm well, wondering if uh, if 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 he's trying to bring her out of no, culture. I'm sort of wondering no, I'm going back to when Talia arrived in Colteris. I'm wondering if the arrival of Talia and Dalen seeing Talia and going, oh yeah, we'll find a place for you, reminded him, oh yeah, my daughter's still out there and I need to go get her. Mm-hmm. And set off that whole branch because that's kind of ick. <laughs> well, I mean, too, there's also the the point that, you know, like I said, um, Bolvar wrote her letters until he died. Like all she like she knew about his fate was that quote unquote he died fighting the Lich King. He gave his life fighting the Lich King. But he was writing her right up until that happened. Obviously, once he got Lich Kinged, he doesn't he wasn't writing a lot of letters. But so for a, a sizable chunk of her life, 
she was getting letters from her father while she was being raised on Cold Terrace. So he knew where she was and who she was. This wasn't a secret. He wasn't. He was like, keeping you know, tabs on her. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no reason to assume he doesn't still possess that knowledge. Um, so far, while he doesn't act like Bolvar Four Dragon did, he does not act ignorant of who he was either. He says mm -hmm. things that imply he knows full well who he was. Now, it doesn't follow that he, you know, we don't know how he feels about Talia at this point. We don't know how he feels, period. Um, certainly, though, he, he harbors the ability for emotion. He hates the, the, the Legion and, and blames them for everything that's happened to him. Um, clearly, he's unhappy with Sylvanas. And I think to some degree, it isn't just the selfish, that's my job she's trying to take. I think there's, I think he finds a way she blunders about offensive. Because when it comes to necromancy, she is as subtle as a hammer to the face. She uses the power of the, of the Valkyr. Again, she, like, she's used how many Valkyr just to not be dead? Like, just from that, you know, I think there's more going on than just... I'm angry because you're you're doing my job or even I'm angry because you're doing it badly because not that she's not smart, just that this is she's very blunt force when it comes to, you know, her approach to the undead. The the raising of the uh, the, the horde wounded outside of uh, during the battle for Undercity, that wasn't subtle. Yeah. You know, this is subtlety is not a thing she is doing. Um, her refinement of the blight again not subtle and it's a it's an anti-scourge weapon so if he's in charge of the scourge he has to pay attention to it um, but i think there is more there i think it's personal he does he seems it's more than just offense at at her temerity it's outright anger he is angry and that's implies he can feel other things so i i don't know i do i do think that talia being involved is is a is a wild card to this whole thing that we have to consider and it's one that really hasn't been brought up much yet either. Dalen, or not Dalen, excuse me, Derek, for his part, when he's reunited with Jaina, he seems to be normal. He mm. brings up stuff, like he brings up, there's like a callback to the whole Daughter of the Sea thing. Because um, he says, you know, as long as stars do shine, that was part of the song that she sung with her father, sang with her father. Um, and Jaina, like right away, Jaina's, immediately suspicious of him and he re reassures her otherwise do you think this is a mistake on Jaina's part to be suspicious of him no no to to brush away that suspicion so i don't quickly. think she has i yeah i don't think she has completely no? either she even says something like we know i know people who can help you um i don't think she's just gonna like bring him on home and let him hang out in the family you know and, and everything's great derek's back i definitely think she even says Derek cannot return home to Colteris. Fun story. Just before all of this went down, Jaina was talking and, and the name Callia Menethil was brought up. Mm -hmm. So we might actually see her come into play finally. Yeah. Jaina's not taking him home. No. So I don't think she, I, I don't, here's the thing. I don't think she mistrusts him. She mistrusts all of this. Yeah. With good reason. This, this whole thing. And it's not, he might be telling the truth. And I think at this point, Jaina's been through enough that we're, we're looking at a former archmage of the Kirin Tor here. We're looking at somebody who understands that there are people out there who will do anything. And she, she has no illusions about Sylvanas. Um, in a lot of ways, she's got a much better handle on Sylvanas than Anduin does. 
Anyone's constantly shocked at the next horrible thing Sylvanas does. So, I mean, Jane is just like, oh, so great. What this is the new thing? This is what we're doing. All right. You know, I I liked the bit the the bit in the cinematic where she kind of goes super saiyan. Really, she like just starts summoning up as much arcane power as she can while she's dressing down Bane because it's like we forget that just because she's moved through the anger doesn't mean it went anywhere. No, at this point it's it's a tool, right? More than yeah. as as much as anything else she has. She is incredibly angry. She's angry enough that she can kill Rastakhan without much regret. You know, she's like, "Well, he died. It's unfortunate, but got to be done." You know, you know, there's so when Derek comes back, she's like straight up, "I'm not bringing you back to Colteris, but we're going to I'm going to take you somewhere to someone who can help you." And that's the last it's said. And I think you're right, Calliomenethil is a really important thing that's a possible um, but I think we have to talk a little bit about what happens on the Horde side, um, like after Bane does this. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's oh, a yeah. lot of stuff that goes down. Um, and I know we talked about the fact that Sylvanas may have put this together deliberately. It wouldn't surprise me because this is not the first time that Bane has spoken out or spoken up and kind of protested what Sylvanas has been doing. Um, it's kind of an interesting dynamic between Bane and Sylvanas because the whole reason that the Forsaken are even in the Horde is because the Torin mm-hmm. vouched for them. And that, to me, yeah, there, there's like but, this kind of interesting thing going on here. But Bane is not happy. He's not happy with what's going on. He hasn't been happy since like that first cinematic in, uh, what was it, Battle for the Undercity? Where mm-hmm. he was really upset about what she had done with Sourfang. And I think that's really important, though, to note that relationship, like to go back to that. And I think that as we talk about that, that's something that everybody should keep in mind is that the Tauren have such an important part in the fact as as a voice of the Horde, right? They are such an important presence. And I think this is as we get to the the quest that comes after the freeing of Derek Proudmore and after he goes back and you see the cinematic and everything. And and this is the part that I, I was just going on about the last couple days is you are sent to basically confront Bane and arrest him. Right. Um, And it's not just you there. Every leader of every faction of the horde is there. And And the thing is, is I, I feel like I should point out you aren't being sent to confront Bane. You're being sent to, help out with this meeting thing that's going to happen and you don't Mm -hmm. actually know what that meeting is going to be until it happens yep and as it happens two two really key things happen first is that sylvanas does the smart thing right and this is this is why i think that everything that happened up to this point is very deliberate she doesn't come she doesn't blame bane she doesn't outright say you did this this is your fault i know you did this because there's no way in, in any sort of scenario, she didn't. She doesn't know what happened. She blames Zelig, who's new. He's former Kaltirian. He's just freshly raised. She could do whatever she wants with him, and nobody really is going to bat it. Well, almost nobody's going to bat an eye at it. We can talk about that in a second. So she blames him and tells Nathanos, kill him. Nathanos raises his bow, takes aim, and before he can take the shot, Bane does what she knew exactly Bane would do, which was confess. Nope, it was me. It was my plan all along. He's doing uh, the honorable thing. He's doing the honorable thing because this does something very important in front of all of the leaders of the Horde. Bane's admitting that he moved against the Horde. This allows her to remove him, not kill him, remove him. 
this very vocal, very powerful voice of the Horde that could potentially be, I don't know, another Sorfang. That could be a rallying cry to oust her from power, potentially, if he gets pushed that far. And then she kills Ellie. So, or I should say, Nathanos kills Ellie. I think that's really important because it's it shows how calculating she was up into this point. And for me, the most important thing is, or, or the most interesting, is if you talk to the NPCs, you talk to the leaders after, after you're done and what they each individually say. The only one that's that's cool about it is the Magar Orcs. Everybody else is like, I don't know about this, man. Like, this is weird. This is this is this is getting a little far. Like, Bane was honorable. Bane was cool. Like, and he did what he thought was right. Magar have have they have no prior knowledge of anything that right. went on with a horde or anything. Keep in mind that these are the Magar from this alternate version of Draenor mm-hmm. from years and years ago. So, like, they don't know they don't anything really about. Azeroth's history or anything like that. All they see is a strong leader doing what a strong leader should be doing. And that's a-okay with them. Yeah, I, and I do think, however, not to sidetrack us too far, but it does also point out how unreliable the Maghar are. Oh, yeah. As Agreed. Their, their, their idea of honor is very alien. Um, and it's it's somewhat something we've seen now, both in Warlords and going back to Rise of the Horde. Orcish honor is always... A lot more flexible than, say, yes. Tauren honor. Very mature. So the Tauren honor is an, an all important thing that has very clear delineation. But but you put it like an orcish hero in a position where they might lose, and suddenly honor becomes secondary. You see it with Sorfang. You see it with a uh, Doomhammer. You see it with um with Garrosh. You see it with Grom. They they talk about honor a lot, but. They can always come up with a way that this thing they want to do isn't really dishonorable or must be done no matter what. And Bane kind of shows you the other side of it. Bane takes, he steps up and takes the weight of the responsibility here, knowing he's being used. Mm -hmm. But he does it because he's trying to save Zelig's life because it's not right that Zelig should die for his actions. And, I think and Sylvanas is being very deliberate about this too. Like oh, she yeah, calls absolutely. together all of the leaders specifically mm-hmm. so that they are all there to witness Bane's confession. Yep. So they all know exactly what he's done, and, and they not know only that, what what's the price in store for, for them. Yep. The price for that should they do the same. So it was kind of a little display of power, but it was also to get Bane out from under her hair because he he was being. He was being more and more vocal as time was going on. And now that voice has been silenced so she can continue doing whatever it is she's doing. The interesting thing here is it's a real contrast to something. People, we've we've discussed it before, the whole idea that this is just Garage 2.0. But we've seen how Garage dealt with the same situation. He blew up a tavern. Mm-hmm. He had people blow, blown up in broad daylight. Yep. Sylvanas puts on theater. This was nothing short of political theater. Mm-hmm. The whole goal was that everybody saw Bane do this to himself, and her hands are clean. I mean, Zelig was a was a called Tyrion who they raised into undeath, and what does he do? The first thing he does with his gift of unlife is betray them. Yep. So as far as she's concerned, yeah, he's one of my people anyway. He's forsaken. I can do what I want with him, and none of you are going to care because he's forsaken. You don't care about my people, and. Everybody else sees Bane basically destroy himself. I mean, he steps up, he admits what he did, he says he did it for honor, and she's like, well, thank you. 
know, thanks for coming out coming out for, with that. Now I don't have to worry about you anymore. And it's not like I mean, sure, Bane's popular and loyal, and I do think she's going to have significant problems with the Torin, but Hamul is occupied. Yep, he's too busy trying to heal the world. Yeah, Hamul. I mean, I don't think necessarily that he's that he's that busy. I think very. I think we may be underestimating what Hamul might do. He might come up, but she's gambling that he's busy right now. And who else is there to lead the Torin if not Hamul? Um, Mela, Mela High Mountain is probably the next closest. She's, but she leads the High Mountain specifically. Are the rest of the Torin going to listen to her? I they don't really know her. I mean, yeah, but she's the I'm, next saying, I'm not saying. Right? I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I'm just saying from from Sylvanas's calculating, you know, when she's making her calculations, Mela is not secure enough in the horde to threaten her. True. They just joined. But, you know, they're not they're not in a position to push. She thinks that by doing this, she's taken the torrent out of consideration. I think that is a mistake. I think so, too. But I also think that it's because of what's happened previously in this expansion specifically and not necessarily just because of the torrent. And I think this ties back to the Horde side and specifically with the Zandalari troll uh, being brought into the Horde in that whole scenario, right? Bane, from the very beginning of this expansion, has been establishing the relationship not just with the Horde, but specifically him, with the Zandalari trolls. He's the one that's been sitting in the Great Seal. He's the one that's been talking with Talanji. He's the one that's been working with Rokan and Talanji to get everything sorted and make sure things are good. There are several quests that you do where... You'll be going there to meet Talanji, and there's Bane as well. And those are the only Horde representatives that are there. I think Talanji's the wild card there, because if they see, if the Torrens see how close Bane was with her, and that he, you know, she's honorable, she's doing this, she's doing that, they might listen to her, not necessarily as, like, the great leader, but if she says at one point in time, look, this has got to stop, they could easily rally behind her, because, well, Bane trusted her, why shouldn't we? And I know we can probably, we can probably also, talk more about that. also an interesting figure, and I think we have to kind of talk a little bit about mm-hmm. um, some of the other lore that was introduced. If you recruit the Zandalari as an allied race, you get to play through a scenario. And the one on the Zan- Zandalar side is, it involves Talanji. It is the coronation of Talanji as the true queen of the Zandalari. And yeah, and she has, she has a series of trials that she has to go through um, to make all of this happen. And you, as the champion of the Horde that has been helping so much, get to be at her side while she goes through all of this. So you get to see what it takes for a Zandalar to ascend and become a new ruler, which is a really rare thing. Rastakhan has been at the helm of the Zandalar for a very, very long, very time. long time. So this is all kind of new and interesting. As you play through the experience, um, one of the things that Talanji does is she gets to uh, speak to the Loa, and each of them has like a trial task or something for her to think about. The final Loa that she speaks to is Buon Samdi, because, of course, Buon Samdi is the one that her father made a deal with. Well, he's, he's taken Razan's place. Normally it would have been Razan. Yeah, he's taken Razan's place because... Rastakhan went to Buam Sandy and said, I need to win. You need to help me. My family will be bound to you. Well, also, Razan was dead. Ma- made a pact. Made a pact with uh, Buam Sandy of all of the Loa. He went to the Loa of death. So, Talanji has never been really gung ho about Buam Sandy. She didn't know what her father had done until her father died. 
she didn't find out about the extent of his deal until her father died and Bon Samedi filled her in. So needless to say, she's not really happy to see him up at the top of that pyramid, but she's got to talk to him anyway. And he proposes a really interesting deal. He says that he will forget and dismiss the pact that her father made with him if Talanji brings him the head of Sylvanas Windrunner. To which yeah. I went, what? It, <laughs> it makes sense if it ties because it ties in with the Vulgen stuff. It does tie in with the Vulgen stuff because uh, Bonsamdi's not—he's not on board with Sylvanas either. And he's uh, not the one that—and he's not the one that told Vulgen to name uh, Sylvanas. Like that's the other thing that no. we we spend time as we 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 do when we can talk about that in a little bit. But like, he's he not is, happy. He's not. Um, and his boss to, ain't happy. Talanji to her credit, says, no, I'm not going to do this. We just allied with these people. We are working on an alliance with these people. They have helped us out considerably, and I am not going to do that. And he says, well, that's a pity. And then he gives her his blessing anyway, and she becomes queen. And as queen, <laughs> well, she, well... She, she asks you to go get Sylvanas. And Before that, Sylvan- Sorry. I was going to say, before we, we talk about that part, there's something else that, that up until this point that I think is really important we shouldn't dismiss, and I think it was a very deliberate choice What's by that? the story crafting, is that before you even begin the trial, the first thing you do for her is go talk to the people voicing dissent at her becoming queen. Oh, yeah. There are people that are really upset about this whole Bond Sandy thing. But not only that, like, it's I think it's a deliberate line in the sand to show the difference between her and Sylvanas. Yeah. Because instead of killing those people, instead of silencing their voice, you go and just be like, listen, you can be her, just don't do anything stupid. Like, you have your right to, to say what you want. Yeah, Talanji actually says it flat out several times yep. over that, that, you know, my people are allowed to voice their dissent. They aren't allowed to open revolt, but they're allowed to voice their dissent. And, Which, and she's also said that she will listen. Yep, she will absolutely um, listen and, and take what they say to heart. Yeah, and and that kind of flies in the face of what's how Sylvanas tends to lead, but yeah, after she's 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 gotten the whole crown thing, that's all happened. Everybody's happy. She goes back to her father's throne, now her throne, takes it, and she tells you to go get Sylvanas and tell Sylvanas to meet her up there, and you go to find Sylvanas and you let Sylvanas know <laughs> she's not exactly happy about being summoned. <laughs> Oh, because she knows what's going on, too. Like, yeah. she knows right away. Yeah, she knows what's going on. So you make the trek, and you go up to the pyramid, and they have a little conversation. And Talanji says, we would like to ally with the Horde as equals. Not as, hey, we're going to follow you. It's a, hey, we're going to work together. And Sylvanas has kind of a moment where she goes, equals, huh? And Talanji's like, as as a queen, you know, you should know. And Sylvanas has to... She has to take it. She just has to swallow it and say, okay, because she doesn't really have another choice at this point. And Talanji is very cleverly, I know we were talking about displays of power and that kind of thing. That's what Talanji is doing here. She's going, Mm -hmm. yeah, I still, my father may have died and my kingdom might be a little shaky right now, but I still have the upper hand on you and do not forget it. Well, and not only that, but like it's also a reminder of, yeah, you're the the war chief of the horde. I'm a queen. 
I have played this game longer than you have, and I know and how to do you, it better. You came to me for help. You're standing so on my you island. Don't, you don't get to dictate the terms of our help. You came to me and asked, and I'm giving you an answer, and you can accept that answer, or you can leave. And Sylvanas doesn't have any other choice. The only people there to witness that were Sylvanas, Nathanos, and you, which... I don't know how that's going to work in later. I really don't. But I, I feel the like... News Julie... Oh, no, that's right. The News and Julie Council mm-hmm. was not there. No, they were not there. It was a very private conversation. Yep. Um, And that may be why Sylvanas was okay with it. Like, so quick to basically swallow her pride and say, okay. Because um, I guarantee you if there had been any members of the Horde there, she probably would have made more of a show of it. But, yeah. Talanji is not looking at Sylvanas like some kind of awe-inspiring leader. To her, Sylvanas is an equal. She is somebody who is trying to lead her people. But she does also understand Bane, and she likes Bane. She likes Bane a lot. She worked with Bane a lot. She didn't really work with Sylvanas at all. Sylvanas wasn't present when we were sitting there leveling through all of the Xandalar experience and stuff. Bane was there. So when you talk to Talanji, after everything that's gone down... She still, it's like she doesn't want to sit there and talk back about, talk badly about somebody that she just allied with. At the same time, she has her misgivings. And I don't think that the Zandalar, I think the Zandalar allied with the Horde. They didn't ally with Sylvanas. And that's going to be a distinction that may be brought up at some point in the future here. I don't know. What do you guys think? Rossi, we haven't heard you say anything in a while. <laughs> I'm thinking about the fact that I don't believe for a second Bon Samdi expected her to kill Sylvanas. Uh, no. He's not an idiot. He knows who he's dealing with. Um, in fact, Talanji has been... I, I've thought, I've actually said this before. Um, one of the things that keeps coming to mind... I, I just wrote a piece. I don't know when it'll go live or if it'll, it'll go live anytime soon. But one of the things I've been thinking about is Talanji as Queen of the Zandalar is taking the fact that Talanji was a thorn in her father's side. He loved her. He absolutely loved her. She was his daughter. But she was a giant pain in his ass. Oh, yeah. And Bon Samdi observed all this. She was, she was, like, she was an important priest of Razan. Technically, her father was high priest of Razan, but she was an important priest of Razan. She mm-hmm. was known. She was observed. The people were constantly talking about, you know, oh, what's she doing now? Oh, now she's run off to, to talk to the Horde. Ah, you know, eye rolling and, you know, what, what, what new adventure is she on? When the thing with Zul went down, when Rastakhan made the deal with Rasta, with uh, Buon Samdi, I do not for a second believe that Buon Samdi didn't know that, that Rastakhan would be dead soon. In fact, I'm pretty sure he was counting on it. Well, I mean, even if you look at the fight, like, Buon Samdi leaves in the middle of that fight. Like, yeah. He's, he's just like, yep, I'm done. Cool. You got this. Like, he wanted him to die. He knew. Yeah, but I oh, think yeah. that... I think going back to when he made the deal with Rastakhan in the first place, back when Zul was a threat, was the threat. Rastakhan's whole hope was Talanji would be on the throne, and we already know Rastakhan Samdi does not like Sylvanas, and Von Samdi directly speaks to Vol'jin about you know I you know Vol'jin's like I was calling to you, and Von Samdi was like I couldn't hear you. That's odd. And the whole deal with the Lich King, you know, the Von Samdi's like, don't mention me when you go talk to them and yeah. when they get there a year is like you don't get to come in to to Talanji and Talanji's like but I'm and he's like no you work for Buon Samdi you, you got his stink on here. you 
Yep. Yeah, I smell you. You stay here. So there's stuff going on here. Like I've said before, between the, the Zandalari and Von Zamdi, between the uh, the Drust and Gorok Tool and that whole island bit where Jin ends up, there's this, these, there's, it's like we're getting this a view of the world of death as a balkanized place with multiple rivals who claim overship of it. And we're starting to see that Gorok Tool claims it, the Lich King claims it, Juan Samdi claims it. We're seeing like these powers, and Helia is a wild card in all this. We're seeing them all move. And I don't believe for a second that Juan Samdi didn't make the deal with Rastakhan, knowing he'd die, wanting him to die so he could point Talanji like a weapon at Sylvanas. And he knows she's not going to just kill her. I mean, if you do, great. I want that to happen. I think he threw that out there for two reasons. I think he threw that out there in the long, long, long shot that Talanji might actually take him at his word and get rid of the problem, like, straight up. But he didn't really think that was going to happen. I think the reason that he brought that up to her was him making a power play and going, here's how you can get out of it. Oh, you don't want to do that? Okay. Yeah, well, I still got the that. upper hand here. I've still got the upper I, hand here, you know? I do think that's the case, but I actually think it reveals an understanding of her personality. Because oh, yeah. by getting her by getting her to not take the deal, she's relying on what? Her personal sense of honor. What's the worst thing for Sylvanas? Yep. When people act on a personal sense of honor. Yeah. Sylvanas looking... does not have honor. She does not know what you're doing we're talking about when you say that's dishonorable she stares blankly at you and goes what what's the honor got to do with anything yeah i agree and then i think i think it also puts in a position where down the line sylvanas might be in a position where now Bwam samdi can put her into a position where he can make a deal or find out what he needs to know directly from her because if talanji is there making her life heck and sort of going that route and if what I think is going to happen starts happening, eventually she's going to run out of allies or she's going to run out of people to work with in any meaningful manner. And then here comes Bomb Samdi. Well, I'll help you. You got to tell me who you're working for. And there's like, there's also an interesting fact here that um, when, when Talanji's father died, Bane said to her, I understand that you're angry right now. I know how it feels to lose your father, but you need to not, blame the alliance for this and talk to them you can still negotiate this he says this bane says this to her yeah and that's already that's that's actually a bigger move than going to get Derek was and more importantly she rejects it outright she's like you know i respect you but no no they have to pay for this and the, the thing seed is, is that's, has however <clears throat> been planted yeah, but but more interestingly, look at how that puts she and right now she and Jaina are are almost mirrored. I think to a certain degree it's unfortunate that they put the Jaina quests earlier, the ones that ended at the at, um, battle for uh, you know Baralis siege of Baralis, yeah siege of Baralis, because they've both now basically they both now have this relationship with death. They both have lost their parent due to the other faction and their own action to some degree. Talanji's father died because of her, because she's the one that brought all this attention to Zandalar. She's the one that went to out in the world and got captured by the Alliance. She's the one that brought the horde there. She, you know, in a really, in a real sense, her father is dead because of her. Now that's not saying it's her fault. 
I'm saying the events that caused all this stuff to happen. Had she well, not she, taken the yeah, actions that she had taken? Actions, yeah. 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 There's there's a difference between blame and responsibility. But she now has that, you know, they're like mirrors of each other. The two of them, like, there's a reason that there's like a, a couple of images in the game now of the two of them staring at each other, hostile, you know, like the, the face-off thing, mirroring the the uh, Sylvanas Anduin things. There's Jaina Talanji ones. Because they are, in a lot of ways, they've both touched on a realm of death that few people ever see. They're both, you know, in positions of power. They're both the heads of their respective nations who are both, you know, now like in a in a weird position. Jaina says that straight up Kul'Tyr says rejoin the Alliance. But who's the one actually making a lot of the decisions for the war here? It's not Anduin. Anduin is like fretting and worrying about the cost. Jaina is the one actually going, okay, here's what we're going to do. Jaina has... I find it not... kind of interesting, actually, because there's you talked about those images. And those images are... It's like they're reflections of each other. Sylvanas is like a reflection of Anduin because the two of them came into leadership of their respective factions at exactly the same time through the same thing, really. It's just that Anduin lost his father, but he also, they lost the leader of the Alliance. Sylvanas lost Vol'jin, who wasn't really important to her in any way, but he named her leader. Both of them came into leadership of their respective factions very suddenly and I feel like they're both still trying to figure out how to lead. Sylvana seems to have a very clear picture of what she's doing in terms of what she's still trying to do for the Forsaken. But as far as what she's going to do for the Horde and where she's going to take the Horde, that still seems to be kind of cloudy. Anduin is looking at the cost of everything, and he's also letting the people who know what's up kind of take charge a little bit so in some areas we have gen leading the charge and in some areas we have Jaina leading the way on the horde side we have bane taking charge of things but we also have nathanos doing the same thing and sylvanas is kind of taking a backseat so they are kind of like a mirror image of each other in the same way that talanji and Jaina are it's like it's like uh it's not so much the factions are pitted against each other as they are mirror images of each other and kind of butting up against each other. I don't, I don't, words are hard. Yeah, there's every place where there's a peak in one, there's a valley in the other. There's, yeah, there's like this dichotomy between the two that's really interesting right now. And they, and they don't have to be identical. They're just opposed is another way to put it. Like Talanji and Jaina aren't mirrors of each other, but they're opposed to each other. And to, we, but but we there know are similarities both, in both situations, yeah. you know, where they line yeah. up and it's like, oh, okay. And we know that they're both personally powerful, not just powerful as leaders. You know, Talanji showed how powerful she was when the Alliance military was, was chasing her ship. I mean, she won't be any weaker as a priest of, of Juan Samdi as she was as a priest of Razan. And Jaina was bad enough that Zul had to set the city on fire so that they could escape. And that's with, you know... Every time I think about that, that was Nathanos. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the of the woman who's head of the Nightborn, and I can't for the moment for some reason. Arcanist. Yeah, not Thalysra. I want to say Thalysra, but it wasn't Thalysra. I can't remember her name. But she was there, um, you know, and Talanji and Zul, and all four of them were like, oh, "Okay, this is bad." So these two. Yeah, people... as soon as Jaina rounded that corner, everybody yeah. was like, "This is bad." Yeah. yeah. So we're in a position where Kul'Tyrus and Xandalar are going to come to a clash. 
And the Zandalar thought when they first heard about the Kul'Tera situation, they were like, yeah, we'll destroy them. They'll be easy. Our fleet's much better than theirs. It won't even be a problem. And now they've been humiliated. So there's a lot going on back and forth between these two countries. There's, there's a lot going on between these two people, even though they don't have any real personal animosity, or at least they didn't before now. Right now, they probably have some pretty significant animosity since Solange is not exactly taking the whole death of her father thing lightly. But th- there's just, to me, there's a lot of interesting things going on here. Um, I definitely think Juan Samdi was very deliberately dropping that bait to see what she'd do with it. But more importantly, because he he had, I, I think what she did is exactly what he wanted. I think he wants her in the horde um, because her raptor is adorable. I'm sorry, it has nothing to do with anything, but I love her raptor. <laughs> I, I love that. that raptor. Yeah. The way it's sitting down next to the throne. I like, know. Yeah, why can, why don't my raptors do that? I want my raptors to do that. Anyway, as a, as, a, as a shaman, I am very happy that my character model has been updated to do that when I'm in ghost raptor mode. <laughs> but it's like, you know, for that matter, I mean, you know, um, Taronda has her cat that goes everywhere and is, is you know, it doesn't just amount. It's also her friend. So, yeah, I, I do like that. But that. That's nothing to do with it. I just had to say it. I was looking at the picture. Uh, but I do think like, you know, Talanji is he. I, I honestly have this feeling that Bonsan, everything Bonsanby did was to get her to where she is. Oh, yeah. It's it's all part of some manipulation. It's part of a game that we don't know yet, right? Like, this is all set up of a board of pieces that we don't know what that board is quite yet. That's It's that's like the underworld is playing chess with us right now. I mean, that's we, we should be used to that part by now. Yeah. Well, I mean, all right. I got... Something... Well, there's one more thing to talk about before we move on. When when Talanji's trying to become uh, queen, she's attacked by the White Widow, mm-hmm. um, who's a member of the council, I guess. I'm not really sure yeah, what is, the White Widow. She was a member of the council of Zul uh, Zuchui or Zuchuli uh, that didn't appreciate Zanchuli Council. Yeah, but was, was she was she um, Shadra? Was she Shadra's chosen? Because I thought yes. Shadra's chosen was the other one. So that she, means that the Chandra is supposedly dead, but the White Widow definitely displayed her powers. Well, there's also so a, implies- there's a quest though that shows that 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 Chandra is not necessarily dead, like like the Loa. So like we we don't know what's going on there either. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there that I think at some point is going to come across. And oh yeah, I don't I I think that Bon Samdi knows that he can't like he's the things he's doing. The fact that people are freaking out over a priest of Bron Samdi as, as head of the state, that's not something they've ever had before, ever. It's always been Razan. It's never been Bron Samdi. So there's there's stuff going on. There's like layer, layers to this. Um, I'm not sure. What so the, there's one other thing that I want to mention really briefly here, because we are kind of running out of time, but I do want to talk about what happened with Magni, uh, obviously Speaker of Azeroth, you are summoned to him and he wants you to find a way. Well, basically you're being sent into old year to go talk to mother. And um, Rossi, do you want to talk about that? What happens with that? Well, I mean, it's, it's not complicated. Exactly. I'm basically Braun and Magni team up to go get mother out of old year and take her to the chamber of heart, um, which I can't call the chamber of heart without like imagining someone going heart. And, you know, rings being used to make Captain Planet show up. So there's always that. Um, I, they, basically, they, they want to save the planet, which is not doing well. And it, hasn't, it isn't doing any better now than it was before. Like, it, it, if anything, it's gotten worse. Despite all of our efforts, the planet is still dying. 
so they want help uh, figuring out how to save it. So they go to Aldir and they talk to Mother because you know they know of her. She's a Titan Keeper who who analyzes things. That's her job, you know, the Herald of Endless Research. So they figure maybe she can help us. And uh, they, they, in order to get her there, they have to activate a Titan Waygate because she's too big to just like, you know, okay, she could walk out of Old Year, but is she going to walk across the entire planet till she gets to Silithus? Um, there's a lot of water in the way, so she'd have to be walking on the bottom of the ocean for an extended period of time. So instead they're like, okay, all right, we're going to, you know, activate this Waygate. And uh, I'm not sure what they are. I mean, they they're they're faceless ones right i mean it's 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 void service yeah they're they're faceless ones they start attacking um and it's pretty it's pretty messed up quite frankly uh you eventually you know fend them off the way gate gets activated and she goes into the the heart chamber the chamber of heart where she starts you know using the resources there to analyze whether or not they can even save azeroth she says something along the lines of that you know I'm trying to remember the exact phrase because it's been it's been like a couple weeks since I did this at this point. Didn't she say something to the effect of that the planet is doomed? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, she's yeah. she's like your efforts are not going to you know do what you think they're going to do. So sorry. Like she's like researching and it's going to take. There's a specific. Years. I think the seventy-seven no, says, cycles. Yeah, seventy-seven cycles is what she says it's going to take. And I, people are saying it's a reference to the uh, the fan theory back in in Legion that patches dropped every seventy-seven days. Or something like that. There is, you know, well, that patch dropped at, you know, the 0.5 patch dropped here. So 77 days from that is this patch. So that's probably when that will drop. Um, some people think that's a reference to that, but I don't know if it is or not, if it's just a coincidence. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of left up in the air as to whether or not anything good is going to come of this. But this is, they... however, the first progression, like progression, progression we've seen with that particular plot thread pretty much since the expansion started and this is kind of the important thing that we actually are supposed to be working towards and we have the crazy necklace floor and everything else we hadn't actually seen that storyline move forward at all so it's like a little baby step but it appears to be moving forward i don't know joe you got any thoughts on all this yeah i'm a little i mean i'm happy it was there as in so much as uh you know we haven't had much with it since the beginning uh but yeah i'm I'm curious as to the timing involved and why it's saying that we're doomed, what the next step is. I think it's it's a piece of setup for what's to come and possibly lead into the next expansion at some point, because I think this is right around the time where they would start laying down that groundwork. But I have no idea as far as like the greater meaning behind it, as far as like the story goes. It's I'm just, just hoping that they tie this into Gahoon. It has to at it's some like, point, right? Like the whole existence of Gahoon helps provide a clue to how to stop this from all happening. Um, that there's something since Gahoon was like a artificially created old god, although not deliberately, that you know Gahoon was a result of their experimentation. That they did learn something they can then use to fight the corruption of the other old gods. You know, there are a couple comments in Old Year that might lead to that too. That I know, now that you're saying that, that I'm thinking about it. Because they talk about, uh, in particular, like the Fetid Devourer and how it was dead Loa. Like, mm -hmm. it it was not alive and corrupted. It was dead and brought back. Like, it, the, the blood of Gahoon, they did a lot of research, the virality of it. Like, they could probably do something with, like, I don't know, healing or resurrecting Azeroth if they needed to. I could see it leading to something like that. I, I don't know, but I do hope that they... Right now, the whole existence of Gahoon was just a great big 
Uh-huh. So I'm hoping there will be like some connection further in the expansion that makes it. I mean, there's still some cool lore to Old Year in the first place. The the whole idea that Nazwatha was part of that, you know, Titan complex and so forth. There, there mm-hmm. is a lot of cool stuff there. I just I do feel like Old Year sort of came out of nowhere in terms of the story we were progressing through. So it would be nice if it all does tie together. Okay, well, we are running out of time, so we're going to kind of wrap it up here. Um, we didn't get any get a chance to address any emails this week obviously there was a lot going on in 8.1.5 and I honestly we didn't cover everything everything but if you have any questions regarding 8.1.5 or lore from any of Blizzard's games doesn't have to be World of Warcraft you can send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com just be sure that you put lore watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch, and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys, listeners, Lore Watch, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. This just in, Arthas is now available as an audiobook on Audible. Yes. And you read by Christy Golden, if I remember correctly. It <laughs> which is, is. Which is just fantastic. Um, if you haven't checked out that book, I suggest that's a, that's a really good, really good book to check out, particularly if you want to know more about the history of Arthas and uh, the Lich King. Um and also, you know, there's some Jaina stuff in there as well, so you can kind of learn a little bit more about her. Anyway, so you could download that as your free audiobook. You could download any of Blizzard's other titles that are available on the service, or they have thousands of other ones that you could choose from. You can download those by going, or sign up for the 30-day trial, excuse me, by going to blizzardwatch.com audible, and every sign-up helps support the show and everything that we do. Okay, final thoughts, you guys. Do you think that Jaina is going to tell Catherine about Derek, Joe. Not unless it serves a greater purpose or until she fully believes that he is 100% himself. I, I don't think it's going to be anything that if it does happen, is going to be anytime soon. She's got, she doesn't fully trust it. And honestly, the way that that, as Mitch pointed out in his article, and I absolutely agree with the way certain shots lingered on things like weapons and a little bit longer than you would expect in a friendly conversation or reuniting. Uh, she has every right to be suspicious of. I don't think she's going to bring it to Catherine's attention anytime soon. What about you, Rossi? Catherine already knows because the Horde sent the first guy that they were actually going after to um, uh, Boralis and flat out told the uh, Calterans where the body was. And then that the body was there, not that yeah. she was alive. Catherine but knows that there's a body. She doesn't she know knows- that Derek is up and around and talking. Here's my thing. She knows that the Horde had him. She knows that this guy was raised from the dead and sent to talk to them. I think Catherine already knows. I don't think she knows in a sense of anyone's told her. I don't think she knows in a sense of there's concrete proof that she's in possession of. I think she knows because what do you think they're going to do with him? It is the kind of horrible thing that she would expect from Sylvanas Windrunner. Catherine was, you know, Catherine's already been through a betrayal, the worst betrayal imaginable by her, the person she thought was her best friend, the person she was going to hand over the Admiralty to. She didn't want it anymore. She was going to give it to that person, and that person betrayed her. And then and the, horde, the Horde that horde then went and got her. No, Catherine already knows something is going on. I don't know that she knows 
insofar as I don't think Jane has gone to her and said, by the way, mom, they, they raised Derek from the dead, but he might be a weapon. So I'm keeping him somewhere else. I just think, I think Catherine knows. I think she just, she knows what's going on, whether or not she knows in the case of anyone having told her or just feels it. I don't, I think she probably at least feels it. She knows something is wrong. Either which way, I'm looking forward to seeing how this storyline continues. And I know we're going to take kind of a diversion in 8.2, heading to a new zone and checking out, is it Nazjatar? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I think that's how it's pronounced, yeah. And seeing what's up with everybody's favorite evil person lurking under the sea <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be a lot of fun i can't wait there's gonna to see be it. so many industrial slash goth remixes of under the sea i know with, with lyrics involving ashara i can't oh, wait i can't wait to see all of that happen porn. with 8.2 right, 8. give me poor unfortunate souls come on 8.2 is probably going to hit the ptr I don't know. It might actually hit the PTR before we start up our next episode. I'm not sure. Yeah, that would they make might sense. they might delay it a little while just to let everybody play through all of the content that's been released with 8.1.5. But regardless, it's a lot to look forward to, and I can't wait to see what happens next with next with this whole Derek saga and with everything that's going on with Sylvanas and everything else that's going on with Bane, and maybe see Sourfang poke his head in again and say hello. Maybe also, bust. Hakar the Soul Flayer can finally show up. Yes. So much. You, There's you so be, much though. to look forward to. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. And we will see you again in two weeks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.